G'day you mob, how's it going? Welcome to this episode of Aussie English, the number one podcast for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. This is an episode of The Goss, where I sit down with my old man, my dad, and we have a chin wag, we have a chat about the week's news. We talk about the gossip, right? The stuff that's going on in the news. So, today we talk a little bit again about racism and the riots going on in America and how they've kind of spilled out into the rest of the world and brought up questions of racism and inequality in places like Australia with the Indigenous people here. We talk about Rio Tinto. Oops, accidentally blowing up an Indigenous sacred site in Australia. We talk about the glossy black cockatoos first returning to Melbourne after a 150-year absence. And then we talk about big cats in the Australian wild. Were they ever let go and released into the wild here? Is there a population of large pumas, tigers, lions, some kind of big cat running around Australia. Hmm, who knows? Anyway, without any further ado, guys, let's get into the content today. Smack the kookaburra on the bum and let's go. I had a story here. So, it's interesting how much the rest of the world is jumping on these riots happening in the US, Mm. right? So, you had, I think there were people protesting in Great Britain in front of the American embassy and you're like, what do you make of that? Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. There were protests apparently in Trafalgar Square, which is, well, it's close enough to the uh, American embassy, but the American embassy is sort of in a little corner thing in, in uh, London that, you know, if you had 10 protesters outside, they'd be arrested for, you know, not social distancing. So, mm. <laughs> whereas Trafalgar Square is bigger. But do you think but, those are Americans or are they British people who, who have just taken up this who knows? cause? Take up the cause. Yeah. yeah. And if it, oh, as far as I'm concerned, people can take up whatever cause they like. If it's passive, peaceful protest, you know. I'm surprised, and there probably are people around Australia sitting out front of US embassies and so on, saying, you know, well, there's one embassy, but you know, US consulates uh, in the in certainly in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane, um, and protesting, uh, but they're not going to make the news because nobody cares. You know, if there's a hundred people sitting down outside waving flags, going, "Stop it!" Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really bizarre. I don't know. I feel like we have a lot of problems, and so it's weird to latch onto another country's oh yeah systemic problems, enough racist, problems of your own too. Yeah, well, they have racist problems with um, African Americans, which we have you know effectively none of in Australia, obviously, because we're not no, America. No. But, but and there look, aren't very many have, African. We certainly have an issue with uh, Indigenous people deaths yeah. in custody of Indigenous people. Well, that's what I was wanting to and, bring up. But yeah. do we? Because I was looking up the stats, so I saw a thing here from The Guardian that was deaths in our backyard, 432 Indigenous deaths in custody since 2008, and I was like, okay. Um, But it's weird because these articles don't contrast the stats. They show we've had these deaths, and over the last 10 years, they've increased by this amount. Well, and that's the thing that sort of shits me, because I was looking into it, and I'm like, all right, so I'm going to go to the Australian Institute of Criminology Mm -hmm. and the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, and have a look at the actual stats of deaths in custody. And, like, how did these people die? How does it compare to non-Indigenous people? And when you look at look at it, so the stats that I have in front of me was 2,608 deaths in custody in Australia since 1980. Uh, 1979-1980. 500 of those have been Indigenous, which mm. is 19% of those deaths. Yeah. And the Indigenous people make up 28% of the population in the prisons. Yeah, but they only so, they make up single-digit 
population. Yeah, yeah. Of the population. So, 100% it's not the number of people of who them, are dying in, yeah, there's in a, prison. There's more it's the of them in, in prison, prison that is the problem. But I guess the problem is that they're playing it up like... It, it, I, I don't like when it gets the story gets twisted because it feels like it's... Yes, we want to resolve this issue that there are too many, at least proportionately... Indigenous people in jail, but at the same time, I don't like twisting the story to make it sound like Indigenous people are being targeted, put in jail, and then killed like this American person, you know, yeah. had his neck and yeah. And look, there, there, I, well, there have been cases. On. There was a case last year of an Indigenous woman who died uh, because of maltreatment yeah. and being ignored. But um, I guess those are in, individual yeah, cases. And they're, they're anecdotal. And yeah. anecdotal cases, uh, the law will take care of those. Yeah, exactly. That's not a statistic. Anecdotes are not statistics. Um, but I th- so there are certainly people who are dying by inappropriate behaviour of custodians uh, in prisons. Uh, but I think the the big issue, as you say, is the, is the proportion of Indigenous people who are in prison, and mostly they're in prison for trivial things. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. Uh, well, and but it comes from both sides, right? So they are in jail for relatively trivial things, but at the same time, they're in jail because they've broken the law. Yeah, and, and it's so not do we put them in to, jail or not, but yeah. we've got to understand the sociology yeah, of why they are committing these yeah, mostly misdemeanour or trivial crimes. Well, that's and, it. It feels like it's, uh, I keep getting skin cancers and I don't know why, and I'll, I'm just going to remove them, right? That's yeah. the best thing. And it's like, well, actually, no, it's because you're sunbathing with no sunscreen on, right? <laughs> it's kind of like, we need to find out why are these people doing these things? And I think, at least for the Indigenous thing, the limited thing that I understand is that it's a lot more to do with economics, oh, of course you know, is. education yeah. and, and social issues. That, yeah. and like it's, a ground it's, up it's social issues. Is it's the same problem that we were talking about with the, you know, the lower socioeconomic African-Americans is that if you feel like you are unvalued in your country and they see this as their country, uh, not just a country they share with us, but it is their country, they've been here for 60,000 years, uh, then you're going to be more likely to be drinking alcohol, taking drugs, committing small petty crimes, and therefore you are more likely to be engaged in the legal system, you know, and being in prison. Uh, How so, do we ever get past that? Because it seems to be a, a story really that's played out with Indigenous peoples all over the world. It is. It's not yeah. just unique to yeah. Australia. It's, you know, the you have the same sorts of Indigenous issues in America. Yeah, North America, Canada um, and the United States. Brazil. Uh, Brazil. But how do you ever get past that until people, you know, because it's like either the government just gives back all the land and moves everyone well, out who isn't. Yeah. Well, but look how well that's going. Yeah, that's what I mean. South, yeah. Af- South Africa is has been politically resurrected since you know, the 1980s and 90s, but socially and economically, it's going down the toilet. Yeah. Well, but the weird thing about South Africa is the fact that you have... The country has been effectively handed over to the Zulu people who were a tribe that weren't originally from South Africa. No. They just ended up making up the majority of South Africa over the last 60 or 70 years where their numbers and have gone crazy. And they were politically crazy. active. And they were politically active. Yeah. It's like no one gives a shit about the sand people that live, <laughs> the other African tribes that live in South Africa, but mm. the Zulu people who now have control are very, you know, it's, it's, it's all about us more so than all of the mm. other African tribes. But, yeah, how do you ever deal with that, right? Like, it's... Just crazy. But yeah, I was going to ask, do you think we live in a post-truth era? Like, is it getting- We do. People, what do you, what do you make of that? Uh, what do I make of it in the sense of who's to blame? Or what do I make of it in a sense of how do well, we cope with it? It seems to be 
that it isn't. I mean, there are people to blame, but it seems that a lot of people are latching on to this behavior too. A lot of people seem to be criticizing Trump that he doesn't defer to science, defer to evidence. But then it seems like a lot of people will just eat up, mm. you know, stories about political issues that they side. They they're on the same side. They don't look into it at all. They lap it up and then yeah. share it around, yeah. and it, it self perpetuates. Oh, it and that's uh, I've ranted about this several times in these episodes. It's I blame. And this is a, a, a sort of generic statement, but I blame the media yeah. in the broad context of media. And it is perfectly understandable why, because the media are just, they're a, they're a commercial organisation or they're you know, multiple commercial organisations. Their job is to make money. They're businesses. They know they can make money by being sensational or just telling crap. Yeah, because and particularly now in a in a digital world that we live in now yeah. is that stories are ephemeral; they come and they go in seconds. And if you want something to stick, it's got to be controversial. Oh, it's weird. You can't I just seen, tell the news. I've you seen can't the just science report. behind that, where yeah. people need to, they if they feel outraged, they're much more likely to share stories exactly to, to yeah. comment. And it's the sharing. It's the yeah. It's it's not. The major media outlets that are the problem, they are still doing a reasonable job. But what happens is that they rely now for advertising on people. It's, Twitter is the problem, uh, not just Twitter, as but it's the Twitter concept. Social media. Uh, but it's, it's not just social media. Social media in terms of I mean, YouTube, Facebook. Instagram are one end of social media where people are mostly, uh, well, Facebook's a bit different, but say YouTube and Instagram, people are creating content. So they are providing some value to the universe, you could argue. <laughs> In some cases, that value is questionable, but yeah. they're at least doing something yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to get it out there. Uh, Facebook is mostly people, people don't get on Facebook to have a million followers. Most no. people get on Facebook to share their lives with their friends and relatives. Connect with their and family connect. and everyone, yeah. Twitter, on the other hand, <laughs> is purely about ego. Yeah. And the best way you can succeed on Twitter is to be as outrageous as you possibly can. And the best way to be outrageous is to do it do it in a secondhand way. That all you're doing is you're just retweeting other people's crap. Well, and responding to it and, and but, you, but you don't even need to respond. And- you, all you have to do is retweet it. And yeah. that's in itself has given it some credence. I never got onto um, it. I, mean, I, have, on I don't have a Twitter account. I share so some of I, the Aussie English I will stuff, put my but- hand up and confess my bias straight away. Uh, <laughs> I do not have a Twitter account. I'm going to be the last person <laughs> in the universe. Well, actually, I probably won't because Twitter will die within the next 20 years and there'll be a bunch of people who have never got on it. But um, So I think that's the problem is that the media now, it's the 10-second the grabs politically. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've said this... You go on. I'll, well, it's I'll so weird that we story. we do have. It seems to be two extremes, right? There are those. There's the side of us that is still being pulled towards ten second grabs and the you know the sound bites and on on the media they just want you know let's have a debate about racism in Australia with thirteen panel members for the next six minutes. Yeah. It's like that is not the. It's hardly it's, a deep and meaningful debate. Exactly, but then there's there's all the they other want is side the controversial us, sound bite. But then there's the other side of us where we. There's a lot more people now diving into intellectual 
long-form mm-hmm. discussions, like why the Joe Rogan podcast is doing so well, why there are so many other podcasts out there and TV shows and, and YouTube channels now yeah. with conversations that are up to three hours or more long and people will watch the entire thing and lap it up, millions of people. Yes. So, it is funny to see that, you know, it's going both ways, that it doesn't seem like, you know, we're all gravitating towards just, you know, sound bites and- No, we're not, but- there's a thirst there for but both. There, there is a there is a thirst. Well, I think there's a thirst for the the meaningless soundbite, um, not necessarily among the public. Yeah, well, I don't know anybody who wants that. I think, I but think if that's all you're exposed to, our concentration that's span going- though has been whittled down quite a bit too. At least in terms yeah. of surfing the net with social media, because even I find like if a video takes too long to load up on Facebook, I'm like, ah, fuck it, next. Yeah, you know, or if something goes for too long, I'm like, eh. Next, I yeah. know, oh, but you see, you if you're interested in those arguments and discussions, you have to go and look for it. Yes. you're not presented with it. Yeah. Whereas the things that you are presented with on television news, radio news, internet news, and social media is the ten second crappy soundbite that is deliberately made to be controversial in the first place. Yeah. Often has the only justification it has for being there is that it's based on social media. A story now in the modern news media, a story now is 10 people on Twitter said, (laughs) and I'm sorry, that's not a story. (laughs) Yeah, If you said, here's the story, and all of a sudden you've got 10,000 people responding on Twitter, that's a story. Mm. But you don't create news by going in and saying, oh, well, look, uh, these people think this. I don't care what Fred and Joe blogs think. What I want to know is, I might care about what Fred and Joe blogs respond to the real story, but tell me the story. And it happens all the time. Even the ABC, which used to be the standard by which I held Mm. television news and journalism, even they do it now, where every story they tell... like Mm. some uh, medical specialist has come up with a a new way of a a new solution to a particular disease yeah here's a new drug wonder Mm -hmm. drug you can guarantee that will be the headline that they had five seconds new wonder drug created you might if you're lucky be told who the doctor's name was or the the medical team or the research team that came up with it what you'll find is one person that it has been tried on and you get there here's the sob story yeah i've suffered from blah 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 disease my entire life and i've been crippled and i've and now it's all wonderful yeah fine but show me the data tell me the story and you can tell that story in an interesting way but we've dumbed down news now to the point where all people are interested in is anecdote yeah and anecdote as i said before anecdote is not statistics it might be true, but who cares if one thing has happened to one other person? So how do we get out? That's our, what we get presented. How with. do we dig our way out of these this hole? Oh, look, I I'm hoping that what we will end up with is a a reaction by the major news media. Murdoch's not going to do it, but the mm. major news media, a reaction to politicians in particular and business, but politicians mainly who now thrive on that. Yeah, yeah politicians are all so cleverly media trained these days that regardless of what they think about the universe they are trained to no they're trained to go canned responses you've got 10 seconds you've got to get your message through in 10 seconds make sure you run down the opposition or if the opposition make sure you run down the government yeah i saw something that's all that anybody wants i saw something recently on tony abbott um so he was the leader of the liberal party for a few years after gillard and he was running some sort of campaign effectively just saying the same soundbite, yeah. and it took him about three months 
and then it finally latched on in the media and he ended up, you know, getting, I can't remember what it was, but it had to do with renewable energy or something and they threw that out and they effectively, you know, undid all this hard work simply because it was done by the Labor Party. But he did it by just repeating this soundbite that, that, didn't have any evidence behind it until people believed it, right? And we have we have a few um, journalists now who don't take crap from politicians, mm. but they're very few. Um, I think I've told the story, whether I've told it on this <laughs> show or not is a different story, but um, I really miss Yana Vent. Um, Yana was one of my, you know, journalistic heroes. Now, you know, to say I knew her would be a bit outrageous. I had met her a couple of times. We were at Melbourne University at the same time. Yeah. And she was a fairly outspoken sort of radical then. Uh, and she was one of those journalists who I can remember on a, uh, on a, it was a Channel 9, a current affair. You would, would, you would not believe that a current affair, which is now a you know, news magazine, controversial news magazine, telling anecdotal stories. I remember on a current affair years and years ago where the treasurer at the time came on and she asked him a question yeah. and he didn't answer it. He just, you know, you did the usual political obfuscation yeah. and she just said, you didn't answer my question. Yeah. And he said the same thing again. She said, this is my show. You're on here for 15 minutes. I'm going to ask the same question for 15 minutes until you answer it. <laughs> and he got angry about it. He said, well, you know, you can't. And I said, yes, I can. You're a public servant. It's my job mm. to ask you to justify what you're doing. And she put him under the hammer to the point where he did answer it and he didn't like it because you know, she knew what he had to say and yeah. he didn't like it. And then he refused to come on again. And she said, fine, I'll get the I'll get the shadow treasurer to come on and tell me <laughs> next time. And funnily enough, he came back again a month later and yeah. he got the same treatment. And we have a couple of journalists, TV journalists, and TV is by far the most powerful medium for that sort of stuff, yeah. particularly if it's live, because people can't get off the hook. Mm. Whereas... Radio, you can't see somebody squirming. Uh, print media, it's always edited. Uh, so live television interviews are the best way of dealing with idiot politicians. But the media now are so controlled, the, most of it is controlled by Murdoch and other right-wing people, that they're never going to do that while we've got right-wing governments in. Well, they might uh, only the ABC, with the other side. And the right? ABC, which, which is one that it does have most of those people now, they're not going to do it. Because the government just keeps cutting their funding. You know, over the last 10 years, their funding has been cut more than half. And you know, so what happens if you're, you know, the ABC start criticising this government? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, sorry, we've got more cuts next year. And they're not going to say because we don't like you. Yeah. Um, but that's really what's going to happen. And, you know, yes, you can accuse me of being a conspiracy theorist, but you know, it's a reality. It's, whether it's a cause or effect, it has, it's happening. So. Mm. All right, let's move on to some of these other stories. Then yeah. I've got um, Rio I've got Tinto. One, but, I've, got yeah. the, I've got one here. Rio Tinto apologised to the WA traditional owners after destroying significant Aboriginal sites. Yeah, sorry. What happened with that story, yeah. Dad? Do you want to tell that oh, one? Oh, no, you can go. Yeah. Well, so I'll was, do the colour commentary was, around the outside of it. There was an Indigenous um, site that was like 46,000 years old in you know, Western Australia. In the Pilbara. Yeah, yeah in the Pilbara. So um, the cave was used for two caves there, I think, were used as shelter during the last ice ages. Rio Tinto is a large mining company, mm. right? Who Second owns or third this one? Biggest. Rio Tinto is the company. Yeah, I don't so. know if it's one of these large billionaires in Australia, though, or if it's just a large no, corporation. I don't think so. No. But they have they detonated a bunch of explosives in part of the um, Dukin Gorge, destroying two ancient rock shelters, and they devastated the Putu, um, Kunti, Karama, and Pinikura people. 
Um, and so the mining giant, it was granted approval for the work at Brockman for Iron Ore Project in 2013. And yeah, subsequent archaeological excavation revealed a bunch of artifacts, you know, grinding stones, bones sharpened into tools and a 4,000 year old um, braided hair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Rio... It just, it's saying that the PKKP people, the Putu, Kuntu, <laughs> Kunti, Kamara, um, Pinikura people, um, didn't make clear their concerns about preserving the site during consultation. <laughs> what exactly is happening there? Because it doesn't seem to be a unique story. It seems no, to be something not. that's happening again and again and again, in, especially in these areas. Yeah. Well, I. There's, I think there's three parts to this. There's two sides and there's somewhere in the middle. The two sides are that clearly there are some you know, highly sacred sites among many Indigenous people in these areas. And these are also areas where there has been you know, continuous occupation of that land by Indigenous people. This is not just somebody who's living in Sydney going, oh, yeah, my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother might have come from there, therefore it's important yeah. to me. And that's not to say that's not a legitimate concern, but these are, these are people who are still living in this area. Um, and on the other side, we've got mining companies who have been granted rights by government to mine in these places. And mostly they do the right thing because they have agreements with the traditional owners of the land mm. over where they will mine and so on. Now, and I don't I know the, the details in this specific Sometimes, one. if not all the time, get certain they get compensation of money for, from yeah, the, exactly. the, the ore so if you're if you're granted traditional ownership status you effectively own the land yeah. and so you know you are, you've got the right to you know sell the mining rights on that land um now i think and i don't know the details of what happened in the background of this case but i think there have been cases where um, in the past unfortunately we've had some indigenous people or indigenous groups come out afterwards and go but hang on that was a sacred site and they've uh, and they this bland accusation that keeps coming out of the the sort of the Andrew Bolts of the world, the right wing people as well. You know, you're only told it was, it was significant after it was gone. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this is the case in this one. Um, and I also don't think that's the case at all in many. Uh, I think that's just a standard sort of yeah. We'll throw that little white water out. We'll it's it's victim blaming yeah. of simply saying you know you're claiming now that we didn't tell you what we're going to do. I'm sorry. You told us you're going to blow this up. We said no, and you did it anyway. Mm. Um, is the middle ground somewhere? And yes, you can have Rio Tinto come out and apologise, but what's their apology worth? <laughs> uh, you can't you can't put a financial value. Yeah on 46,000 years of cultural heritage. You can't put financial value on 100 years of financial heritage. Yeah, there was a case, not Indigenous case, but there was a case of an old hotel in Fitzroy. Yes. Uh, sorry, in Carlton. Yes, I remember um, that. I was walking which, past that to get a yeah, Melbourne Uni exactly, all the time. Exactly, which like was... Yeah, which I drank was, there a few um, times. Which was purchased by a developer. Yeah. He applied for the right to pull it down um, to build a new restaurant hotel sort of thing there and he was told no it's heritage listed you can't do it here are the conditions that you can renovate Mm -hmm. and it wasn't this wasn't the the old dodgy brothers you know insurance job where they just burn it down one night he just got the demolition team in and demolished it did he do that um like i can imagine him having you know 
thought, I'm going to get an approval for this. I'll, you know, submit the documents. I'm assuming it's going to be a yes, so I'll just start knocking it down. And no, then he's he was like, told oh. no. Or was he, he told, was told no, no? And then he did, and it, he did anyway. it anyway. What did he think was going to happen? Exactly. And fortunately, <laughs> in this case, the government came out and said, okay, you're going to pay us back for the value of that property mm. and you're going to have to rebuild it. Really? At your cost. No kidding. <laughs> now, Has it I don't been know rebuilt? It, I don't I know. I th- I'm recently. sure that's still sitting going around the circle of appeals courts. But, yeah, uh, but, yeah that's, again, one of those. And this is only a you know, 120 or 130-year-old heritage. But mm-hmm. once you've knocked it down, he can rebuild it. But <laughs> it's, it's no longer the same building. Yeah, well, yeah, we can, we can, can rebuild yeah, the case. Rio Tinto can, <laughs> yeah, can rebuild the case, but it's not the same. Yeah. And, and I think that's the problem is that we've got a situation now where this is a multi-billion dollar company who are going to make hundreds of millions of dollars out of the action that they have taken, they can pay whatever fine they like. They can yeah. say sorry and go, oh, sorry, here's $20 million. And Shut up and go away. that keeps happening, right? And you have this whole, it's just you know, a, we'll it's ask, just a cost of doing no, business. we'll do it anyway, and then we'll be like, sorry. Sorry, And yeah. then, you know, what's the fine? Here, have yeah, it. Like, exactly. That's nothing. The fine should be, and the trouble is that the government, and, and look, we are all, we're the government. I mean, mm-hmm. we are the government of Australia. Um, but the government is so tied in, and our financial system is so tied into coal and iron ore sales. Yeah international sales on the export market, that the government cannot come out and, not fine, but they can't come out and treat Rio Tinto the way they should be. Yeah. yeah. If, because if, they if would I was sitting there and that. I were the mining minister, um, I would just simply say, well, you've clearly demonstrated your incapacity to deal with this. You are not going to create any new mine in the Pilbara without a five-year environmental plan that involves the local Indigenous people and blah, 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 and government's got their hands off it. This has been an independent group of people, you know, that... um, And, you know, so... But that won't happen. It'll just be the slap on the wrist, you know, sorry. Oh, okay, thanks for your apology. Carry Mm on. (laughs) And I'm not opposed to iron ore mining. Uh, Well, that's what we make You just do it correctly, though. Yeah, Yeah. you just do it appropriately. And, yeah, there are... Plenty of other areas. It's not like there's any shortage of fucking iron ore in the northwestern Australia. <laughs> it's one giant bloody iron ore mine. All they yeah. got to do is keep digging holes. And yes, there are places where it will be better value to them. Yeah. It's closer easy to the coast. To it's easy to extract. It's higher quality ore. Blah blah blah. But seriously, you know, it, this should be the conservative part of me just sits there and says, if there's any question about whether you mine there or not, you don't. Mm-hmm. Because there are plenty of other places doing it. This is not like it's a shortage. It's not like the uranium mines in Kakadu, where if, and I'm not really a big fan of mining uranium, but assuming that we are going to allow uranium mining. G'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again, thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.